Hi, and welcome to the 81st episode of the Machine Ethics Podcast. This episode, we're talking with Alice Thwaite. This episode was recorded on the 15th of September, 2023. Alice and I chat about teaching ethics, information environments, the importance of democracy, the ethics hype train, and the current ethics community, the need for humanities in tech, and indeed the business case for working with humanities, people to follow in AI and data ethics, and the idea of ethics as innovation. If you'd like to listen to more episodes like this, you can go to machine-ethics.net and you can email us at hello at machine-ethics.net. You can follow us on Twitter, machine underscore ethics, Instagram, machine ethics podcast. And if you can, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Thanks so much for listening and hope you enjoy. Um, hi, Alice. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Um, if you could introduce yourself, who you are and what you do. Hi, Ben. Yeah, my name is Alice, um, Alice Thwaite. I, uh, I always find these kind of introductions quite difficult to do because you're trying to show that you are worthy listening to, but we're also British, right? So um, I've, I've been in this field around um, ethics and technology broadly since about 2015, 2016. One of the highlights of my career that I can kind of talk about, because I think in the ethics world, there are plenty of things that we achieve that no one can really talk about. Um, and that's not nefarious in any way. You just know what I mean. It's just kind of like it's it's yeah. all things under the radar and stuff. Um, but I won the COGX Award last year for um, Outstanding Research Contributions and Achievements in AI Ethics with um, a consultancy I used to have called Hatusia. When it comes to what I really specialize in, I'd say it's 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 a couple of themes. Um, about four years ago, I was really a specialist in online polarization echo chambers, and I got quite frustrated with that community. As I think we often do in this field, it's like you'll notice that people jump around a little bit. And I think sometimes that's for good reasons, which is that they get fed up with that kind of research field. It's sometimes for not so good reasons, which is that they might notice there's hype somewhere else and they can make money from it. So, yeah, I was in that polarization space for a while. I then started to turn my attention to what does it mean to um, incorporate ethics by design into technologies and technology structures and technology platforms. And the way that came about was I was at the Oxford Internet Institute at the time. I was doing a master's there and I was the only one who came into that um, institute. This may or may not be true, uh, but I was one of very few, but definitely in my cohort, I was the only one who came from a philosophy background. And a lot of people would use this word ethics. And I'd be like, that doesn't relate at all to anything that I'd studied in my undergraduate. That doesn't relate anything at all to, which was a Western analytic philosophical degree, right? Um, so I started thinking about how can I teach ethics starting with these foundational principles that come from philosophy, which I think is absolutely required because, you know, there's a lot of people who you'll ask, you know, what what should we talk about when it comes to AI ethics? And I'll jump straight into something like transparency. And you're like, yeah, transparency is great. But why, you know, think about oh, why yeah. we need transparency. And the only way that you can actually design for transparency is by understanding that transparency relates to freedom. It relates to democracy. And unless you're holding on to freedom and democracy as kind of foundational ethical labels, then you might kind of get stuck down this transparency route that actually might cause more harm or kind of works against these bigger principles. So um, that course was first done at the Said Business School in Oxford, then developed into a series of courses that I did at General Assembly. And that then led to various different advice around 
designing ethics, privacy um, into technologies, into operations strategy, thinking about organizational transformation from an ethical perspective. And now that's what I'm doing today. So I'm working at a, an advertising um, media agency called, the group is called Omnicom Group. And then I'm working at OMG, which is Omnicom Media Group. And they're specifically with Omnigov. And they're just such a fabulous group of people. Um, and obviously you think advertising agency, how does that relate to technology? But then ultimately a lot of technologies get funded by advertising. So uh, that's my career trajectory. That's what I'm up to. And uh, hopefully that was an interesting enough bio that means that you want to hear from me more. I, I think um, what, what we do is we put a pithy uh, title on the episode and then that will reel people in and then they'll be here and they'll be like, excited to listen to you, Alice. And they'll be like, <laughs> what's this all about? With that trajectory, it feels like starting with the echo chamber and i think i actually first heard of you i spoke to you when you were doing the echo chamber club right and we spoke um i think we mentioned before the podcast like four or five years ago which is uh, seems crazy now um you were thinking about this uh idea of the echo chamber social media and and how the internet and and um kind of social mediated uh situation changes people's behavior or, or impacts their kind of mental health or uh, uh, emotional ability to interact with other people or whatever it is and then I think uh, stop me if I'm wrong you then looked at kind of more kind of uh, tech in general and then AI stuff and then you're kind of coming back to the kind of um, social echo chamber in a way with the whole advertising bit. It's interesting because I like it's always interesting when you hear people's perspectives on your career um career <laughs> um because the the strand that I've always had as like a common denominator in what I'm doing is I have always been super interested in um information environments and I've always been interested you know information environments I think is a more holistic way of looking at something that other people might call a public sphere for instance like mm -hmm. It's kind of funny when you're in these groups, um, people will suddenly not like a specific word for a very niche reason. And I'm definitely guilty of doing that. So I talk about information environments um, for a very niche reason. And, and so I've always been interested in that. And then I've always been interested in kind of democracy as like a social structure that we can use to inclusively involve people in decisions and hopefully create better worlds. So for me, the trajectory has always been democracy and um, information environments and to that extent kind of like freedom and inclusivity um, and then everything that I've done around that has been kind of like subdivisions mm. of that um, so polarization was kind of you know I was interested in it before and then like I think everyone gets into ethics by getting by kind of jumping on sort of some sort of hype train right yep. um, and then you gradually get disillusioned with that hype chain and then you just really you start questioning it and you're like hang on this is way too simplistic and then you fall down the rabbit hole and either you drop off entirely or you kind of get into the position that me and you are in which is like god like this is so naughty and we've been in this for a while um but yeah for me it's it's all around these deep philosophical concepts and that's also why i think that the other common thread throughout all of this is when i was doing the echo chamber club work one of the things I realized is that the theory around echo chambers and the theory around polarization that was presented at the time by Cass Sunstein and Eli Pariser was basically just kind of like, I think about it as like pop nonfiction. It's like, generally, it's mm -hmm. a white dude in America who is like 
huh, there's this common sense issue. And I'm the only one who's thought about it. We're seeing it with AI ethics at the moment, right? Like there's suddenly all of these people who are jumping on board the AI ethics train just being like, huh, there's this issue. No one has thought about this. And then they kind of like write a book because they're able to get a book deal. And suddenly this book is incredibly popular because it taps into something that people are a bit fearful about, but actually has zero grounding in any sort of discipline that's come before it. Because actually, if you look at most academic disciplines, they have dealt with a lot of these big subjects. It's just mm. that they refuse to read the literature around it. So I jumped on that train and then was like, hang on a second. It feels like what Pariser is talking about and what Sunstein is talking about is like a, an attack on a particular incarnation of democracy, which is itself problematic, right? And then that's why I got really into a rabbit hole around different types of democracy. And actually, we need to be thinking about the kind of social structures, because democracy, like there's hundreds and hundreds of ways of, I mean, just look at how many countries there are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's so, and so many more, like conceptually, there must be thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of ways of organizing and creating a democratic country. And so then for Eli Pariser to come out and say, quite simplistically, oh, you know, social media and echo chambers are problematic for democracy it just didn't really add up the more you got into it and that's and that then then has led me to do what i'm constantly doing which is like how are we reading all the literature on this are you taking into account philosophy have you consulted a historian what does art say about this like mm. there's this amazing person called alice bennett who works out of liverpool hope Inst um, university who writes on attention from an English literature perspective. Do you know how amazing her insight is? And when we're talking about kind of like the crisis of attention or attention studies, is anyone referencing her work? Like this is the kind of space that that I like operating in. And um, that again is kind of like an overall transition because from an organizational perspective, people have constantly ignored like humanities and social sciences when designing these technologies. I mean, you even look at what Rishi Sunak says about we need more STEM, and there's this overall idea that if you're doing a degree in the humanities, then you are wasting your money and wasting your time. And, you know, I've got this personal kind of narrative, which I'm not going to say I coined it because no one ever coins anything. But I, I, I do think I was one of the first to kind of come out on BBC radio and say, you know, we need more humanities working in the development of technology. And I'm starting to see LinkedIn bios saying I use humanities to kind of design technologies which is really quite cool but we do need more investment in these areas we need to recognize that these methodologies have existed for thousands of years they are pretty cool they do help us answer a lot of these questions they give us ways of like understanding the complexity of it the nuance of it and I guess we're just stuck in this point again with AI ethics where you get like you know a computer scientist who has absolutely zero zero understanding of cognitive um psychology I, you know, I'm just going to say it like Stuart Russell's book, for instance, Stuart Russell gets pulled into loads of things. There is a section on his book where I nearly threw it across the room because he missed, he, he, he completely um, misdefined consequentialism, which is a foundational ethical concept. He completely misdefined it. And I was like, how can you constantly be called up onto these kind of like ethics podcasts? And yes, you know, he writes really well about the control problem or whatever. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, you haven't got a grounding in this. Just consult people who do. Uh, humane AI or? Uh, it's, I know human... he basically talks about the control, because this is what Stuart Russell talks about. Stuart Russell talks about, um, which is, you know, a valid concern, but it's also... Um, it's also not the only concern with AI, this idea that AI might one day um, destroy humanity because um, we can't control it anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, we've had a, a couple of people on the show who have talked about the control problem and the 
what's it called alignment problem um yeah. so you, you definitely go check those ones out um my personal my personal opinion which i feel like chimes with yours is that we have like things now that we need to deal with right yeah absolutely um which we can definitely think about those other things but like there's loads of stuff right now <laughs> yeah which are issues um i really enjoyed it i i really want um stuart russell to come on to the show so i can um talk about that with him um so if you're out there i actually did uh, meet stuart once and and ha- um, gave him a bit of a going at and i don't think he liked it liked it anymore <laughs> liked what i said about him so i mean there's all of these people right yeah human compatible exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. there's there's a lot of these people who it's really it's do you know what it's really tricky when you're again in this space which is that like people like tristan tristan harris Um, on the one hand has done so much for like for showing that this is an area that is important to talk about right for getting it onto the um, getting onto people's agendas done a fabulous job his ideas I don't think are very well formed and I um, don't think that he is very good at consulting the rich body of literature that exists. I think that he kind of sits in this space of, I've got this hunch and I'm going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And and I and I feel very you know complicated emotions towards these sorts of people because on the one hand you're like I am very grateful to you for raising this up the agenda. What I'm not grateful to you for is not then stepping out of the way. And letting other people speak um and and you know you can see that with a lot of the people that i've just spoken about like they they managed to get these huge funds um to do to do all of these work and yes like eli parison might have an incredibly diverse team at the moment um but you can see a lot of these institutes that are headed up by these kind of people right um and on the one hand incredibly grateful on the other hand you know, I am, I'm not going to kind of like get down the kind of like the privilege Olympics type thing, but I am, you know, I've got a lot of privilege, uh, but being a woman, I was, I was just absolutely unable to get the kind of funding that, that was mm. absolutely, I found it impossible. And I'm not saying that my career is, is, is in any way, I'm quite grateful for the stuff that I'm up to and, and it, it's, it's really cool, but I do remember feeling a lot of frustration towards those kind of people at the time. And it's really difficult to kind of, on the one hand, be incredibly grateful towards this community and the fact that it's growing and the fact it's getting more press time and and all of these things. But then the infighting that then exists in the ethics community is also really difficult to kind of manage. And I think you see that mm. through a lot of kind of, of these big movements. Like you look at feminists, for instance, and feminists just can't work together because they're also kind of, well, when I say they can't work together, of course they can. I don't want to kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, like there's just these little, little kind of like gripes that we all have and Mm. it's just a really complicated emotional space in a way that doesn't really exist in other industries i would say because the stakes aren't so high or maybe i'm saying that because i am just like so blindsided and think that i'm the center of the world and i'm really narcissistic but actually if you are working in insurance then actually it doesn't (laughs) you know i have very little um experience in the insurance industry uh, for sure um so I'm, I'm sure they are um facing their own issues i guess i actually feel like uh, i've got strong opinions about insurance but that's probably not the time and place for that yeah, yeah, yeah. um 
I, I will say though that I do think it's important for us to talk about these things mm. as like a group of ethicists is just acknowledge that you know there are these social structures that exist within our own movement which potentially make it harder for us to do our jobs sometimes mm. um, and it would be really cool if someone was to study them really because then we could probably learn a lot from it and I know that on these kind of podcasts you're expected to come in and I'm expected to tell you everything about AI ethics and ethics in general and just kind of tell you how to do it but actually I am super interested in these kind of smaller structures that make whether or not the movement is going to happen um, and what change is going to happen and what change is actually going to happen I'm super interested in these kind of like smaller social elements as well Mm. Um, so I feel like we've given a bit of a roasting to some people so I was wondering if you had any institutions or individuals who actually you really rate um, in, right. this, in this space right now because I think that would be super useful for people listening who want to um, who are interested in who you think are um, have this grounding or have this uh, wealth of um, interest in the area which is actually maybe more valid or just interesting or whatever it is um, sure I don't know if it's more valid but um, I, I, I really have a lot of respect for careful industries and projects by if, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, I think that, you know, when Hattusi was around, we were kind of like the three, three kind of independent consultancies that were working in this space from London. So obviously you're based out in Bristol, but I think, I think they're really cool. So that's Rachel Caldicott and Sarah Gold. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's some institutes that are doing phenomenal work. I'm always really interested in what Privacy International is up to. The Montreal AI Ethics Institute newsletter is just, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, Privacy International, Access Now is really good. Um, in the advertising space right now, I think that the Conscious Advertising Network's up to some really interesting stuff. I think that Check My Ads is up to some really interesting stuff. Um, there's some academics who are incredible. I really, I really appreciate the work that comes out from Big Brother Watch as well. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of these kind of like highly niche and highly specialized individuals who are really raising the bar when it comes to information in this area and really trying to think about what it means to change society either through information gathering research and or activism um and i've probably missed out a ton of people from there and the ada lovelace institute has has been powerful for a very long time so and of course everyone's going to mention the dare institute as well right like that they're they're really cool um there's all sorts of people who, who i truly respect and are doing phenomenal things in this space um and some of them get a lot of recognition, others don't. Yeah. And um, actually, on that point, when you were talking right at the beginning, you mentioned that it's one of those really annoying um, kind of activities, you know, that we do, right? So when we do a good job, no one sees it. Right. Or like, it's like a blog post somewhere about all the things that we did. And it doesn't have like this um, service which meets the public or, or businesses per se, because you're you're trying to do... You're trying to make the creation of a service or product better internally for a, a company or um, maybe work on some research which covers a broad area which will help defence or energy or advertising or whatever. Uh, and these things don't necessarily interface with general public. So you're like, it's very hard to get a good PR on, on some of the, of the work that we do almost in, in that way. It's, it's, there was a group that I was part of um, 
for a while and um so it was run by erica chung who um so i don't know where she's based at the moment but she is also incredible so she was one of the um uh, the major whistleblowers on theranos um i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly and we were kind of looking at what would a consortium of our of ethics firms look like and what do the services look like mm. um and it's super interesting because we know what the advantages are when it comes to ethics like we know it's an inherent strategic enabler. We know it creates a ton. I mean, I'm using I'm using kind of like business language at the moment. Sometimes people don't like it. I'm going to preface this with yeah. ethics is the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do, right? Um, it just is. It's like sustainability is the right thing to do, not because we're saving the planet, but because the planet we're saving, we're, create, we're ensuring there's going to be a planet which is hospitable for humans in the future. It's just, it's mm -hmm. just like a no-brainer. Yeah. But when you're kind of like working in the space that we're working in, which is maybe not kind of quite so public facing and is maybe more kind of business facing, then you do resort to this kind of language around competitive advantage, mm -hmm. a strategic neighbor. But it really it really does all these things. And I think I think that what's really interesting about ethics is that it is so genuinely innovative, like when you like it, what kind of winds me up a little bit is people like AI is innovation. It's like okay, well, how do you define innovation? Mm -hmm. Innovation for me is when you use a um, new method or a new tool to apply to an existing problem, right? AI is not a new method. It's not a new tool. It's just, kind of, you know, and <laughs> what are the existing problems? And people are trying to invent problems for it to kind of like exist in. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so I kind of look at when people are like, oh, we're going to do innovation around AI. It's like, yeah, but everyone's doing that. Whereas ethics, on the other hand, it's like we have completely ignored the social sciences. We've completely ignored things like anthropology and history to help us solve kind of like critical societal problems that exist through technology. Of course, there are some people who've done it. That for me is like genuine innovation, right? And so you tell people this and it feels a bit too risky because this word innovation, people like using it, but actually they're not that keen on doing it. Like that's just the way it is. And then suddenly like I've been in, the organization that I've been in now for a year and three months and it's really exciting just kind of like watching people like have that real world experience of just how much of an enabler ethics is um and you've just got to experience it and you just need to kind of like take a chance almost and I don't know really where I'm going with this but just to say that if you are listening I cannot tell you how much you will benefit from kind of just having this different thinking in your organization and in your company. And also, if you're listening to this and maybe you're kind of on more of the public facing, kind of consumer facing activist side, please bear with us who are working on that business side and don't get annoyed with some of the language that we use because that is really just kind of like a translation for businesses to then kind of get around these issues that you were just saying about how do we prove that we're valuable, you know? Um, and like I say, Erica Chung is doing some really interesting work in this space. Um, one of the people I didn't mention was um, is a, was Olivia Gamblin, who is um, the um, ethical intelligence founder. Like like the things she's achieved is is just is, is very cool. Um, so she was part of that group as well. So there 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 are there are things there are things going on basically. And what you've just said is is a is a really person issue, but we just need people to believe us and to take a chance yep. basically i i think uh, we've had um olivia on the podcast a couple of times now actually um we, we very rarely get people on more than twice so we've done that uh twice now and we're getting to 
nearing 100 episodes now so i'm getting very um tired of interviewing people no um (laughs) (laughs) we've we've scratched the surface on this space unfortunately i feel like um the world of ai and ethics is just getting more and broader um over this time so if anyone's listened to episode one going forward it is such a difference it's like a a a gulf of difference between now um from 2016 and to now um, when we started this um so and and it sounds like you've been on that journey since then as well it's it's interesting though because there's this idea i don't think this is probably something to discuss right but there's this idea that ai is like accelerating at such a pace and no one can keep up with the pace of ai right and I actually think that a lot of these things are exactly the same problems that existed in 2016. It's just that, you know, the the kind of the social and political structures around them have changed marginally. Mm -hmm. Like AI, if you think about it, rests on mathematical principles that were invented. I mean, when, when was, when was the multiple regression kind of like really come in? Like the linear regression, the multiple regression statistics, I think it was around the 1920s, the 1930s. Yeah, I mean, regression itself is older than that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, actually, this is not that new. And the grand scheme, it's really, really not that new. Mm -hmm. And yet, like, I think it suits some businesses and some individuals to be like, the pace of change here is crazy. And it's like, chat GPT-4 came out and everyone's like, whoa, this is crazy. It's like, no, it's not. It's using exactly the same methods as existed for GPT-3. It's just got a bigger data set. It's used way more. Like, actually, it doesn't take that much to kind of wrap your head around it. And everyone was like, God, we need the ethics of generative AI. It's like, I was just looking at, you know, HPS, which is the History and Philosophy of Science um, department in Cambridge, did a really great reading group before this whole generative AI thing truly kicked off. Mm. Um, they did a really great reading group around what are the major ethical issues in AI, all of them all of them applied to generative AI. Like there was nothing. And then you're just kind of thinking like, are there, you know, are there new issues with generative AI? Not really. Like, yeah, there's like marginal differences that you can kind of like claim like gulfs or not. Mm. But at the end of the day, we're kind of stuck in the same situation, which is that, you know, who is responsible for building these tools and who does it benefit? What is the kind of the financial situations there? You know, which, which lives and which stakeholders' lives are actually being affected by this either because they are quite literally dying from these tools or they're being incarcerated or their work is like deemed inappropriate and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's, th- these issues are kind of like perennial and they are all start with societal issues, right? They all start with like, who do we value as human beings and for what reasons do we not value them? And then technology kind of either accelerates those changes or, or, or and, or diminishes them slightly and that's that's the space that we need to start with is that yes there are changes and I think you're right like since 2016 there has been far more of a spotlight on AI ethics in particular Mm -hmm. Um, more and more people are like coming out and kind of speaking on this topic and kind of like claiming knowledge on this topic but are the job openings there yet if we're honest not really you know are the institutes getting more money if we're honest not really like Mm. Um, and these are kind of the issues that we need to kind of like champion. You know, it's like, as far as I'm concerned, if you think that there's an issue with AI ethics, show, you know, Stephanie Hare, who wrote Technology is Not Neutral, often says, show me your receipts, right? Where, you know, where is where is your AI ethics team? Like, where is like the accountability that you've got in place? What money are you spending on this? And then everyone kind of looks at you like, oh, 
you know, but we dedicated a 30 minute slot in our conference to this. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I hear you on a lot has happened since 2016, but has it? Ah, well, I, I'm going to claim it has because, um, but I think that's probably more of a, the response to, I can talk to my mum about it now. That, right. That's probably the test, isn't it? Right. Right. Um, I can, I can talk to my mum, my mum and, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's in the news. It's 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 available. the The knowledge is being disseminated in a way that it it hadn't before. Right. Um, and and like you pointed out, like maybe it's not because the technology is like fast forwarded like a, a massive amount, but these things are just more present in our lives now. Exactly. And I think you're right there. Like you know, like you've got the Me Too movement, for instance, which suddenly put you know, I think the Me Too movement was a major catalyst for the Black Lives Matter movement for instance and that really kind of like put these structural inequities in into people's minds and then when you then talk about technologies like influence in that then people kind of have something else that they can kind of grab onto in their heads I think we're kind of in agreement but we're choosing to put emphasis on different parts of it which I think is often the root of most disagreements it's yep. like yeah, yeah. I want to push a different narrative to you you yes, know definitely and I've got a different story to tell, but actually we have the same basics of facts and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. I think, uh, I mean, to your point about job openings, I think there isn't that many jobs in what we would probably, if you searched for AI ethics or AI ethicist or ethos, technology ethicist, I think there would probably be still a handful of jobs there. But I think in 2015, 16, I think there was no jobs there. I, I think this is maybe a new category which had been something else and has kind of um changed into this new term i don't think you know all those people who talk about ai ethics now they used to do other stuff right which were similar parallel well, the students to be fair like you kind of look at our age you look well, at our I'm, age, th- right? I'm talking about academics mostly i guess like a lot of my twitter sphere my um echo chamber is a lot of academics <laughs> right good, yeah good for, yeah they're amazing in yeah. general Sometimes um, not. So, yeah, so, most of the time. So lots of people were like, oh, we've been talking about this for X number of years, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Um, whereas, yeah, I mean, some of the, the upstarts in this in this area may be less so. I do, like, I do, coming back to it, though, I do yeah. find these, like, inherent structures behind it all very, very, very interesting. And I know this is where it makes me super niche. And, I'm, and I quite like this space. I quite like working in this space where, you're not necessarily you're not a household not that any ai ethicist is a household name but there are certainly mm, yeah. more ones that are more kind of like prominent than others like yeah. tim Hebrew, for instance like is yeah. is um and i like being in this space where you've kind of been there for quite a long a long t- a long time you know mm. if you saw me i'm doing inverted inverted what's it like quotes. little little quotes yeah um you know but i suppose anyone who's been working in the tech ethics space since 2016 has objectively been in it for a long time yeah, I think pre- previously when when I first started this, you would wheel out Joe Bryson, uh, Joanna Bryson, or right, 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 right. Uh, Alan Winfield or someone in, in yeah. the UK anyway. You would, yeah, Lu- um, Floridi as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always good. Uh... <laughs> I, I I love I love his work, so I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, he is prolific. He is certainly prolific. Um, mm. Yeah, what? But I I think it's so great to just come on these things and just have a chat and just. If I was to tell you what are the things that I'm trying to push and work on right now, mm. it is just mainly in that space around how do we create those more those those job openings? Mm. You know, how do we prove to organizations 
and to institutions that this is an incredibly difficult skill set that is worth paying for and you will benefit from it. Yeah. So, I mean, you probably already talked about this um, in your previous kind of discussion, but if you were going to pitch to a company, um, let's say Amazon, because they're notoriously not good at this, um, but the other department, right? Other other companies exist, and that they have to they're they're interested in putting together a opening for a ethics team. Let's say, I mean, that sort of organization, wow. organization could have a whole team on this. Um, I'm looking at Microsoft. They've got teams, and then they've got embedded individuals. Um, so, what is that sell? What what are you what are you pitching to to make that happen? Well, often it's quite good to kind of work in a smaller department rather than kind of have a centralized space. Like mm-hmm. it's um, in order to make any sort of impact, you do need to have a specific thing that you're trying to change as opposed to trying to change everything generally. Like, um, so that's one thing. Unless, of course, if you're in that centralized space, then you might have like an education piece to play. But anyway, like something is as is, is massive as Amazon, it's kind of, I'm always reluctant, like, you know, like loads of people are like, well, Unilever is really good at sustainability. And you're kind of like, yeah, but which which brand, which or brand? Unit, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and and also and which decision because you know some are some are good and some mm. some are not. So, I think that I think the main the main three kind of like ways that I pitch around this is that a it, it is innovative. Like you are like it's just by its very nature. If you are bringing new skills and new thinking, and I'm not just talking about AI, but genuinely mm. like your first time ever bringing on an anthropologist to kind of work through with your design team, of course, you're then going to have different perspectives. Like, and of course, that's going to just improve and benefit the work that you're doing. Yeah, I think recently, I was kind of said that I'm always the antithesis to groupthink. Like, what, what better, what better, like, surely, surely you want that in your team. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of, that, that's the innovation stake. The other one is around risk management. It's super interesting working alongside um, compliance and legal colleagues because quite often the things that I'm seeing and working on is not potentially as detailed as what you get in that compliance space, but it's definitely the sort of thing that's going to come into the compliance space in, let's say, the next seven to eight years, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so everything that was in the Digital Services Act, if you'd have kind of like been following what academics were writing about when it comes to these platforms and platform governance, you'd have been ahead of it really easy and you wouldn't have had that mad scrabble when it kind of came in a couple of weeks ago. So mm. but the risk management element to it, which is also just increases like product life cycles. Like if you then have a every, if you're building a product, then in your head, you're going to be like, this is going to be something that we can sell for the next four, five, six years. Yep. That's actually quite a relatively long product life cycle. But suddenly, you know, you're going to have the same amount of investment into building a product if you can sell it for two or three years compared to selling it to let's say eight years, you've immediately like improved the return on that investment by let's say 400%. And that's just through better governance and risk management. Like it's kind of crazy to me that people can't see that immediate financial benefit to doing, I hope I've explained that correctly, but like, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. just looking at like product lifecycle stuff is, 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 is super important. And then the other side is just around trust, right? Um, so those are kind of the big sales, but the main the main sell is like, do you actually want to include like societal considerations into the building of your product? Do you actually want to have a holistic approach to sustainability or not? Like, mm. if you just want to jump on the bandwagon, 
and just kind of think that carbon reduction is is it and that we're just going to trust what our suppliers say when they say they're carbon neutral then that's one approach well do you want to have someone on board who's and i'm not a sustainability expert but a sustainability expert who's able to scrutinize it and go hang on a second they're saying they're carbon neutral but they're carbon neutral because they're actually doing a ton of carbon offsetting and that carbon offsetting is going to companies that we're not really sure whether or not what kind of trees they're planting whether mm. or not biodiversity aspect of it they're doing yeah. it in landscapes that aren't going to support that like do you want to have someone who's doing that for my in my view if you're a larger company absolutely absolutely because you actually don't want to be pouring money into a, something that ends up being corrupt so it's a long pitch but ultimately those are kind of the three buckets that i put things into and it just makes you better and you can interpret better in whichever way you want that you know mm. whether or not that's like a moral betterment or like an efficiency betterment or you know whatever you want but yeah i think i think people are mad not to to be looking in this incredibly rich space where people are graduating with phd's the whole time and then they kind of go off and become a bartender or a lawyer when they could be doing using their knowledge using this great work alongside maybe someone who does specialize in business transformation. So you just set up a team where you've got this one person who's a product specialist and someone who specializes in business transformation. I'm doing a strategy for you. You can all, you can all take notes. And then suddenly you've got this incredible like, team in a department that has a specific remit, and then you kind of let them go for two years. I, I, I find it crazy that mm. organizations aren't saying this. I think, I think the, the counterpoint to that is I, I think that people worry that these types of positions are a no we're just going to say no to everything sort of position and we're going to tell you you're doing it wrong all the time and i guess you, what you're pointing out is that it's not that it's a collaborative effort to make better things for a better business for a better world you know all this sort of stuff and it's not really about saying no to things it's about how we build better i think i think that's i think you're right and i think the reason for that comes from kind of compliance because compliance mm. if you think about compliance it's just got these are the legal initiatives yes or no yeah and that's where people get annoyed and they're like oh it's illegal and you're like well it's... anyway in my view if it's whatever um yeah. we're not going to get into into the le whereas ethics for me is like look it's not necessarily in a lawsuit yet and or it is in some sort of lawsuit it's not in a, you know, losing the word, I don't know, how to, but it's not necessarily there yet, but, or it might be there in spirit. So quite a lot of ethicists mm. do rely on like human rights conventions and that kind of thing, but actually interpreting it in a way which enables you to think through how you invest your money a little bit differently and, and like think through how you communicate with your suppliers is just a forward thinking thing to do, right? So I do see ethics as using different methods than compliance because compliance is very much rooted in that legal methodology. Mm. Um, and yeah, like as ethicists, you might be like, we've done the research on this. You know, one of our major stakeholder groups is, you know, the people that we contract and supply with. And it turns out that we're not paying them enough money. Mm. No, yeah. you should not do that. But hopefully any good ethicist is then going to come back with a reasonable figure or strategy to be like i'm thinking about that chat gpt example right of like the kenyan workers being spent like yep. being paid two dollars an hour it's like you're kind of going to go no this isn't a good thing but any ethicist should then turn around and go okay well how do we get the research to figure out exactly what would make a humane working condition for these workers right yep. and then that just turns into business strategy as normal it's like 
you then think, okay, well, actually, we need to make sure that they've got all of these benefits that they've got, um, that they've got kind of the mental health structures in place to help them through that all of that, they're actually like able to, to um, have a seat at the table when it comes to making key business decisions that maybe we don't contract it out, and we bring it in house, how long does that take? Okay, so in nine months time, like a quick fix for us is that we're going to double their pay. And in this, and we're also going to commit these promises, like, for me, that's 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 how I work and that's how I operate. And it yeah. you could construe that as just a no, but it's also a okay, well let's let's fix this. What's the solution? And yeah. how do we transparently communicate that to people so that if they do turn around to us and go, Oh, actually you're only spending, you know, paying four dollars that you and this kind of annoys me because tech companies do kind of like create narratives the whole time and you're like, you're just you're just no, this is this is a cover up. The two that I always look at that is I think Lush does a really good job at kind of like transparently communicating why they've made the decisions they they have. Mm. Patagonia obviously has a really good reputation in this space as well. It's just just about being proactive around it as opposed to if there's media scandal giving a comment and just being like, ah, you know. You caught us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, we hadn't thought about that. Like actually, yeah, we probably did like on that kind of contract with the in um with chat gpt they probably just like went with the lowest bidder mm. they spent like it was something like 120 000, like 120 um thousand pounds no am i getting that it's one two zero with three zeros on the end so whatever that number is mm. on their content moderation it was valued at 27 billion like that just doesn't add up to me it's like surely you spend more money on something like as fundamental as making your platform safe it's it's bonkers. I think, for me, you've got to weigh up the, like, a part a part of that situation, right, is not that it costs so much, you know, that the Kenyan workers are being paid a certain amount of money. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. But the, as you're doing that work, you, you, you're going to think about, like, oh, is this actually feasible? Like, you know, like, is it feasible to employ people to look at the worst stuff that humans can throw at them and what's the ethical implications of that you know and for me there's a lot of like missed triage in doing this stuff anyway um which is which is probably part of my um you know ethicist says no situation but like when you say missed triage what do you mean so when i when i'm in triage like um there's this there's this you know beginning of the project let's say and someone has this idea and you have to um, look at the, the project viability for business, probably. Right. Um, but you also want to look at it in terms of how it's going to have some sort of social good or impact, right? right. Um, and if you're not doing that, you, you can quite easily get into these holes of, you know, what we're seeing with the Kenyan workers, ChatGPT and OpenAI, where um, people are, or, or in, indeed like Facebook and, and moderation there as well, you know, where people are being... Um, we can only assume um, exploited and, and uh, you know, there is a beginning conversation where we could have actually mitigated all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's about, yeah, just making sure that people are raising the right things, you know, like consequence scanning was something that dot everyone mm. produced and it's like, actually, has that been updated? Probably not. Like that was, that's quite old now is the dot everyone consequence scanning um, method. Yeah, so I think um, for for me, there's like there's there's so much that you could do with those people in those positions where they're they're just making your 
that they're actually saving you so much money because you don't go down certain avenues, right? Like if yeah. you go down this avenue, then this catastrophic thing may happen, and we have to. And it, it comes a bit into the kind of the risk area then at that point as well. Um, but I did some work, and a part of the work was putting ethics into the data science pipeline. You know, so you're working on a project. How do you bring people into the room to help you with that product? How do you put the kind of the structural process, um, which can can bring in kind of some ethical thinking or some uh, better ways of, of doing things than just we're making a product and this is what we think about it. Aligning with the kinds of people who are already in the room and, and what extra things you need in the room and pro extra processes and things to think about. But at the beginning of all that process, you have to work out if it's worth doing in the first place. Like, right. do, do we spend all this money and time and effort like doing this thing or actually is it way too risky or... Um, because it's going to impact so many people negatively or it has a potential to do that. And when you're thinking about like arms and things like that, it's like so much easier to to see the consequences of those things. Right. But everything has cons consequences and, and giant, you know, tech firms and stuff like that. And they, anything they produce are going to have a consequence because they're just in millions of people's fingertips, right? Right. Um, so I think for me, there's this, the, the conversation's lacking in the area where it's more about what kinds of things we're making at all right? <laughs> and how do we make those things better if we're going to make them um, before we even consider like better ways of actually producing. I think you're totally right. I, I, I guess what I struggle with, there's the chances are that someone who's always done work on something, it's just about then kind of going out. And I, I would be then interested in like, how do you make that from an organization point, how do you make that feasible? Mm. Um, where where do those individuals sit, right? Like how, I'm not sure exactly where, how the decision comes about to um, start on an R&D project around a particular product, right? Let's be honest, quite often it's um, startups and it's the owners, you know, the, the founders who just decide this is a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. and they kind of like, so do you put that responsibility in the VCs or the investment? Like, do you see, do you see what I'm trying to get yeah, at? Yeah. Like, yeah. Where, where does that structure come about? And I think I think you're really right in raising this because, you know, that example I just kind of gave around how do you pay people better? Um, like there is an argument to say, actually, as an ethicist, you should just start at the beginning, but sometimes you can't. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it's not you an know, option. You kind yeah. of all inherit these structures and biases that ultimately do come about because it's just not a priority for startup funders, um, startup owners. And even if it is like i mean we've both owned small businesses mm. um like having to like document things and write things down and document every conversation and kind of like that that in itself even even if you're kind of like working on this is, is really tricky it's like what what are the actual tools that we're going to ask mm. founders to to use and to create and where does that funding come from so yeah you're you're, you're totally right it's just it's always a lot of this just comes down to money <laughs> which is uh my other favorite topic uh, topic um yeah. i know i know you you you're, you feel very strongly about democracy do you do you see democracy in of itself at all for, in your kind of arsenal essentially like a view of which you can put onto things to be able to um like a value that we can use to pick things apart let's say yeah i think um so there's a couple of ways of looking at this so mm. one is that 
um, people always use it almost like a verb. We're going to democratize this. It's like, what version of democracy are you talking about? But um, I think I think Rachel Caldecott at um, Careful Industries and Promises in Trouble is really good at thinking about inclusive design. I'm sure there's some other um, there's some other organisations too. I'm not so involved in that DEI space, um, and I can imagine you've got lots of listeners who are who are much more proficient in DEI than I am. But I think that's generally what you're looking at when you're thinking about democratization of decisions within companies is that you are kind of in that diversity equity and inclusion space so, and, and and kind of weirdly I like yeah I do I am really interested in democracies I guess I'm more kind of interested in literal political structures mm. as opposed to how do you take the, the the ethos of democracies and apply them to organizations which are inherently anti-democratic unless they are of course a cooperative mm. like yeah. like the structure of corporations are pretty authoritarian um or they're an oligarchy or whatever you want to you know that's that's yeah, the way yeah, yeah. So, you have to, you have to try so, pretty hard to make it not that don't you yeah but the reality is that someone owns it there mm. is like there is someone who owns it or there are shareholders who own it you've got someone who's responsible for keeping those people happy mm-hmm. um, the only other structure is to have yeah a cooperative yeah. and there's very few organizations that are cooperatives so uh, so then the whole idea of then trying to include democracy in some way in those organizations is a, is a bit of a farce. It is, you know, mm. um, and it's also not to say as well that in some organizations, uh, like something which has a bit more of a, of an oligarchy approach is not a good structure. So I suppose I've answered that question in a way that absolutely maybe five other people on the planet would answer that question. But, um, yeah, I don't. I, I, I think that inclusive, inclusive design decisions are really important. I think there's loads of ways of going about that. I think that one of the key things that is important to do is just ensure that you are open with the extent to which the people who are taking part in that inclusive design actually have um, sway and decision making potential over the final decision. Like that's one thing. Mm. So there's this idea, you know, like. I don't know if it's still kind of, I don't know if I call it a fashion or not, but this idea of citizen juries, for instance, like the idea of a jury, that metaphor in your head makes you think that they actually do have the final say, whereas actually quite a lot of citizen juries end up just being focus groups. Do you, do you, do you see what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they have literal power in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas a focus group is just kind of there to, yeah, exactly, provide some external perspectives. Yeah. So. Um, and I do think that inclusive design is so you've got that aspect, which is like you've got to be as upfront as possible with the participants, the extent to which their their view matters, not matters, but is going to be integrated. And then, yeah, you've got to kind of offer like extreme transparency and extreme accountability as, as, as much as possible mm. um, within the structures of the organization that's in play and just and just be as upfront and honest about that. Um, but that's all in kind of like participation and inclusive design. Like I say, Rachel Caldercutt does think a lot about this. And I'm sure there's a lot of other individuals who think a lot about it too. My position has always been, but you need expertise as well. You know, you can't just, you, you, you speak to people who haven't thought, you've probably done this. You speak mm-hmm. to people who haven't really thought about AI ethics and they come out with these principles and you're like, this is quite basic Mm-hmm. there's people who have thought far more about this it's not that your opinion doesn't matter of course it matters but you need to have like a certain amount of expertise to educate people so that they can then know the right avenues to talk about so mm-hmm. there's always that kind of like yin and yang i suppose yeah i know there was something on linkedin where we had a difference of opinion and you said that you wanted to talk about it on 
Yeah, um, I think that was embedding teams into companies. Right, and I, you said there could be a, an external consultant could do that role. Yeah, I, I, I think my my main opinion there is that I'm uh, I'm a believer in the fact that we can't do everything. So the small startup, for example. It's going to be tough to have a dedicated person for this. So what do you do? You either um, go and get an external party, and, and that's totally an option. And you already mentioned Olivia, and there's, there's individuals that you can call on. and um, Or you educate your team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I have, I'm a true believer, right, in people who are studying, thinking, and um, doing a lot of research in this area. But I'm a true believer in, in the fact that the the companies themselves just need to get educated. Like they mm-hmm. just need that, like their staff need to be aware of like everyone has to be aware at a basic level of what's going on and mm-hmm. why um, this thing exists and mm-hmm. how we can use it. And that there are people who you can utilize, but there's also like this wealth of knowledge that we can pull together as well. Um, how I think about it, it's like, we don't need ethicists everywhere. We, we need everyone to, be brought up by the work that academics and ethicists and, and individuals and companies and institutions are doing. Um, and, and also, like, one of those really important things to me is, and it's often extremely difficult, um, is just sharing. Like, um, if you're a company and you've you've done extensive research in a particular area and it's going to be useful, um, then you should hopefully be able to share some or all of that research, you know, um, if it's going, if it has a social good uh, yeah. about it, and, and like I say, it's difficult sometimes. But um... I mean, it is it is tricky because again, you're looking at like the market dynamics, and mm-hmm. you're right. Like, if you're a small business, then what do you do? I mean, the advice that I've generally given is that if you are approaching thirty employees and you're building a tech product, and one of you haven't got a part time person on board who's looking at the ethics of this stuff, then yeah. you're missing the trick, right? right? You know, should they be in the first five employees? I don't know. You know, maybe you know, not, like, but like maybe know. the founders are interested in it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but there's this kind, there's this moment that happens, I think, between yeah, that five to thirty mark, mm. where you're like, you've got a significant amount of investment now, and or producing enough revenue to bring these people on board, and yeah. um, and even if it is like a you know part time, part time ethicist working who does two days a week with you and two days a week with another person, you yeah. know, another company, whatever, whatever. I do think I just constantly am thinking about organizational structures and unless like you know how it is you're working as an external consultant you're brought on to do a workshop and then where's the follow-through you need someone who's like championing that and has the ability to champion that internally to keep pushing pushing on it yeah yeah Um, and and that's that's kind of the constant frustration compared to being a consultant towards like working internally is working internally you constantly see the the improvement and the updates but you don't necessarily get to do some of that cool research you need to bring in other people to do that cool research and as the consultant you might get to do that cool research but you then don't see the kind of like the augmented shift and change so yeah you've got there's kind of arguments each way it's kind of we're kind of just getting back to what should you be spending your money on what is an adequate profit margin for your shareholders like what are they actually demanding of you you know this this kind of thing yeah i mean i think that comes down to the the structural nature of our situation though um and the capitalist situation i think if you are just chasing profit then then we're all in a, in a problem <laughs> you know 
and then we get we get legislation in um, for certain safety reasons, but often because runaway capitalism doesn't account for certain behaviours that we want to see, certain uh, rights that we as individuals want to uh, obtain or, or keep. So I think for me, the capitalist situation is is part of what we need to deal with almost, but that's kind of like this massive structural issue. Um, I don't know if you've been on a podcast before where I, again, I'm very particular of defining mm. capitalism. I guess, I guess let's, let's talk about like Ayn Rand's uh, <laughs> um, capitalism. Let's talk about like um, individual, like neo-socialism, runaway markets, that sort of thing. Oh, without regulation. I guess, because yeah. okay, I guess, I guess what the way that I think about capitalism, like, I think commerce is generally really good and really exciting. Like, I don't have a problem with commerce. I don't have a problem with, like, entrepreneurs and businesses. In fact, I think, you know, they do a ton of good, like, amazing stuff. Um, so you've got the Ayn Rand idea, but also the, the best definition of that scene was in Graeber's, David Graeber's debt. And he he basically defines capitalism as when you are using money to create more money. So you're not... There's, it's not labor or resources which are then building money. It's just like literal investments. Like the structures are in place to make sure that if you invest five pounds, you definitely will see that five pounds increase yeah. through doing literally nothing. And he and he traces in his book Debt. Then kind of he traces it back to I can't remember where he traces it back to. But I that's that's what I think about. It's mm. like if you are if you are in a system, whereas it is absolutely expected that someone just by investing in that money will see a return on their investment of a certain amount then that then we're in a problem but if you're in a situation where someone's like do you know what i'm doing some great work i'm like whatever that labor really involves and i'm getting paid a wage for that that mm -hmm. for me is just like commerce and that should just be celebrated like um and so and then regulation kind of comes in as part of that so then you're like okay well is this a problem with capitalism or not it's like I think I think actually it's the stories that we tell ourselves about the roles that matter in tech. And um, I think that we're very familiar with the idea that uh, a, a product manager or an operations executive, like, yes, they might not work in sales, but they have like a really important part to play in like product development and kind mm -hmm. of making sure it is a good product. Like people bring on UX designers in the first kind of first 10 employees often. Like, why is it that the UX designer doesn't have an ethical component brought in there. And before you were saying as well that, you know, these roles had, you might not see a role for a technology ethicist, but you might see for something else like mm. UX and user experience and user design is really taking on a big lump of that at the moment. And um, do they have the skills to continue? Maybe not. But then that comes back to your other point that you were talking about around education. But I do think that there needs to be wide education, but there also needs to be a centre that is driving that education. And I also think that the accountability comes from the leadership. But that's true of like any other profession. Like if you've worked in tech, then you'll know that like developers are very good at telling you about when something's not their responsibility and where they need to go to. Right. They, you know, they're very good at kind of saying, oh, you need to, you know, speak to the iOS developer for that. You yeah. need to speak to this. I think that should be the case for ethics as well. Um, I feel, Alice, like this is going to be a conversation that we could just keep having. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll have you back uh, another time and we, we can dig into um, the structural capitalist situation and, and startup teams and, and all that. I feel like you've got a, a nice bar there already with the kind of 
30 individuals there should be a uh, ethics uh, a tech ethicist there uh i think that's a nice idea um the last question we always have on the podcast is what excites you and what scares you about our ai mediated future i think what excites me is like all of the people who are doing master's degrees or postgraduate degrees in some form who would care about this stuff like the research coming out from academia and from civil society is truly exciting I'm also excited by businesses in the future just being like, whoa, look at all this stuff. Hmm. Uh, what kind of scares me is just um, is just general exploitation. You know, we need to we need to treat each other with respect. We need to think about how we pay people a little bit more. Hmm. Um, so I think this whole conversation has been down to like what are organizational structures looking like and how do they operate? Um, yeah, there's so much opportunity here. We just need to make sure that no one exploits it. Please don't ask someone to come in and speak to you for free. Don't tell them that there's no budget to speak at your conference. Like it's just, it's not, it's not cool. Um, so yeah, I think those are the those are the two things. Wicked. Um, thank you very much uh, for coming on. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited. I've got lots of things to think about uh, to to mull our conversation over. Um, how do people follow you, find out about you, all that sort oh, of stuff? Oh, God, I don't know. It's such a shame. <laughs> it's such a shame that we've lost X or Twitter. Twitter is now turned to X. Yeah. Um, I actually don't know the answer to this question. I um, I would add me on LinkedIn, actually, and mm-hmm. say, listen to this podcast. Um, and I am my my potential New Year's resolution is to start, a, start writing a bit more next year. Um, so there might be a newsletter coming soon, but at the moment there's not much. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always it's always a pleasure to come on and 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 have these kind of conversations. And um, so thank you for having this this forum to do it. Yeah, I think I think I think LinkedIn is probably the best shout. Very unsexy platform, but um, yeah. Yeah, I mean it depends who you're targeting, doesn't it? You know, sweet. So thank you very much, and uh, we'll speak to you again. Thanks, Ben. Hi and welcome to the end of the show. Thanks again for Alice for coming on the show. I think I've known Alice and been on panels with Alice uh, for quite a while now. So it's really great to actually finally get her on the show, uh, get it all out almost. Um, uh, I think I think me and Alice have a lot of uh, similar things to say. So I think it's uh, really great um, that I, I was able to kind of channel some of that through some of our conversation. Uh, it was really, really fun. I also feel like uh, a lot of these episodes, there's a lot of um, kind of repeating themes like capitalism. And also I really like the idea that Alice was proposing that ethics is actually part of your innovation strategy. It's kind of like part of what sets you apart, your USP. This is the thing which is, is going to bring in coverage and money and it's not going to blow up in your face and it's going to be great. I think that's a really good message to go with. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Do get in contact with us with anything that you have to say about in this area or people and themes you'd love to hear on the podcast by emailing hello at machine ethics.net. Thanks again and see you next time. <laughs>